the winter of our discontent. I'm sure you may have heard that phrase once upon a time. I found out that that phrase came from Shakespeare's historical play called Richard III. I am not an expert on Shakespeare. I rarely understand what poetry says, so I cannot always appreciate that, but I do think that I understand the phrase, the winter of our discontent. I will tell you that that phrase was brought over into the British uh, common language in 1978 and 1979. That's when the country of England had widespread uh, unions that were striking. The people were not having their garbage picked up. People were not able to get about my mass transit. Everybody was seemingly angry. Everybody was frustrated. The more I read about the background of that, I thought that sounds exactly like the situation that exists in 2019 in the United States. It appears today that our country is deeply divided. There's so many people who are discontent, they're unhappy, they're discouraged, they don't know which way to go. And I ask the question, is that rubbing off on the church? Are we becoming a people who are discontent with almost everything that we have and everything that we are? I would ask you, are you content with who you are? Are you content with what you have? Are you content with where you are headed? Do you feel that the way things are going are exactly the way that they should be going? Well, this lesson is going to be our conclusion of our study of the book of Philippians. And we begin with verse 10. We're going to look as Paul closes this letter. But we're going to focus our attention for just a few minutes on seeking satisfaction. You and I, what are we looking for? And we're going to look at verses 10 through 13. Let's begin by reading those verses together. Paul said, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, for I have learned whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to be in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, the key word in this passage comes from verse 11, is the word content. What does it mean to say that a person is content? That is a frame of mind that views our lot as sufficient. Are you content in so many different ways? Well, I've tried to look and make our lessons apply to our situation today. And I'm going to address three areas where it seems that discontent is affecting those of us who are in the Lord's church. Not only is that affecting us in the Lord's church as a whole, but it affects us here. And I want to begin, the first one is discontent in marriage. Are you content with your husband or your wife? Are you content with your family or are you looking and you say, well, I wouldn't admit that. 
But the truth is, you look around about you and you look at some people who are no longer here and I will venture to say that you will say, I see somebody who used to be here, but they're not married anymore. They've left their husband. They've left their wife for someone else. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. You see, God created the home, and he created the home to be that safe haven where love is shown and expressed. And yet we find people who are discontented. One of the saddest parts of the Old Testament to me is 2 Samuel chapter 11. And you begin with verse 1, and it says, It happened in the spring of the year at the time when the kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. And then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed, walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Verse 4, then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. You realize what David just did? David wasn't satisfied. David wasn't content with the wives that God had provided him with. And he looked and he saw another man's wife, and he says, that's the one I want. Folks, the reality is, is that we live in a world today where men and women are looking at someone else's spouse and say, that's the one I want. And I'm willing to give up on my marriage for it. But if you listen to Solomon and the wisdom that God gave him in the book of Proverbs in chapter 7, he said in verse 10, And there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and with a crafty heart, and she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside in the open square, lurking at every corner. Let me tell you what will happen if you are discontent in your marriage. There will be somebody that will be there seeking to take advantage of your looking. This discontent. In chapter 5, his answer is, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and as a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. And always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and embraced in the arms of a seductress? He said, you shouldn't be discontent with your wife. You should be happy. You should be glad with your wife and not be looking somewhere else. Paul would say, I have learned to be content. We need to learn to be content in our marriages. The second area where people have often expressed discontent is in their financial state. Money. I don't ever have enough of it. I always want more of it. It appears that people are willing to do all kinds of things in order to gain money. Too many people are pursuing this get-rich-quick scheme. And again, Solomon would say in chapter 28, verse 20, A faithful man will abound it with blessings, but he who hastens to rich will not go unpunished. Chapter 20, verse 21, An inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Chapter 23, verse 4, Do not overwork to be rich because your own understanding. Cease! 
What is he saying? You need to make sure that you are not laboring your life just for riches. Learn to find some contentment. In fact, as we studied on Sunday morning, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, for those who desire to be rich fall into a snare or temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Many people are finding themselves being drawn by greed. And what does it do to them? It destroys their lives. But another area that is being shown where people are showing discontent is in their religion. You see, for them, their religion is no longer something that is a matter of, is it right or is it wrong, but I'm just tired of what I've got. Some are not satisfied with God. You go and you look at the Old Testament. You look at Israel. Israel was God's people. But you see in Judges chapter 3, verse 7, So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot their God and served the Baals and Ashereth. They forgot their God. They're after other gods. You go to chapters 8 and verse 33. And so it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal Berith their God. Do you realize that there's a lot of people today that are not content to come and sing hymns of praise to God? They're not content to open their Bibles. Oh, we're looking for something new, something fresh, something exciting. Others are wanting alternatives in their pursuit of God. When Isaiah was a prophet, it says, And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to the word, it's because there's no light in them. Look to the Bible. Someone says, but I don't want to follow that anymore. You see, we have a real problem in our world today. And when you find people, even some who are following God's word, you find discontent among them. Because some want to be in charge. Some want to rule or ruin. In the book of 3 John, verses 9 and 10. He said, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come to come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. Now listen carefully. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. What do you find? You find a man like Diotrephes who says, I'm not content to follow God's pattern and God's plan. I want to do it my way. And if I don't get my way, I'll put people out of the church. The discontent. Do we live in a world that is discontented today? I don't think any of us would deny that. Do we live with marriages that are discontent? I don't think any of us would deny that. Do we live in a world where people always feel like they've got to have more? I don't think any of us would deny that. And why is the Lord's church struggling 
to get people to be faithful. It's because nobody's content to be just a Christian, to be just a person following God's will. Well, finding satisfaction or learning how to be content. I've got some suggestions. Number one, especially in your marriage, compliment rather than criticize. You know, sometimes we bring out in people what we want in them. And if we criticize, you know what you're bringing out? You're bringing out the negative. If you compliment, then what you're doing, you're bringing out the positive. And you'd be surprised if you compliment your spouse and encourage them how much happier and more content you will be within your marriage. Number two, count your blessings instead of complain. So often when we're wanting more, we're greedy. It's because we don't realize what we already have. You and I, if we'll take just a few minutes when we offer our prayers to thank God for what we have, for the food that's on our table, for the clothes on our back and the roof over our heads. Number three, cooperate instead of complicate. So many people today are saying, I want it my way and I'm going to make it hard on you or I'm going to make it hard on them. You make it hard in your marriage. You make it hard at work. You make it hard in the church because you're not trying to cooperate. You're trying to complicate Number four, commit instead of being curious. Are you devoted to the Lord and to His church? Is that number one, that what you're going to do, or is it something that you're more interested in, something that might be over there? Are you looking always to see if the grass is greener over the next field? And finally, as this passage would suggest, count on Jesus. Put your confidence Put your faith, put your contentment in him. Now the Philippians always cared for Paul and wanted to meet his needs, but according to this passage, they lacked opportunity. God often meets our needs by providing good brethren who care. Here I am, I may have a need, but someone says, I'm going to pray to God to be able to give and answer my need. You know how God does that? As the song says, he has no hands but our hands. He has no feet but our feet. Oh yes, when God needs something done, it's my job to do it. And we should look for opportunities to fulfill this. Listen to Galatians 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and especially those who are the household of faith, as we have opportunity and Paul describes this event in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 9. And when I was present with you and in need, I was, not, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything I kept myself from being burdensome to you, and so I will keep myself. When Paul is in Corinth and he has a need, you know who does what needs to be done? The brethren at Philippi, they're his co-workers. And Paul learned the difference between needs and wants. He was not in need now. You remember he says, not that I'm in regard to need, verse 11. 
But he had experienced both extremes. He knew what it was. He says, I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. I know what it's mean to be full and I know what it's mean to be hungry. I understand both ends of it. But our problem sometimes is we want to define our wants as necessities. And in reality, they're not. Well, someone says, well, I don't know what that means. First Timothy 6 and verse 8, And having food and clothing... With these, we shall be content. Oh, I tell you, you're talking about being satisfied with enough. Enough. In Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conduct be without covetousness, content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God has made a promise to us. He's going to take care of us. And someone says, well, how's he going to do that? Fire brethren. He did that with the Philippians. And so the real source of sufficiency or contentment is what you and I enjoy through Christ. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I learn to trust. And there's where I find my contentment. Now, the second aspect of this passage is the sharing of our struggles. Here we are and we're facing a world and discontent is everywhere around. How is it that we're going to be able to face these challenges? He says, nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving or receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once, aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. I have received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. My God shall supply all your need according to the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. What does Paul do? He focuses on their generosity. These Philippians gave over and over again. You want me to tell you something about these Philippians? It's what I know. I know from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said that through their poverty, they gave. These are not rich people. These are people, but they say, what we're going to do, we're going to share the burden together. They shared in his distress. One of the unique features of the original language is you can tell where something was ongoing or just one time by the the, uh, tense of the verb, which in this case is an aorist, which means it's a one-time event. You shared with me. I needed your help. They did what... They were called upon to do. Now listen to us. Galatians 6 verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
bear one another's burdens. I've got a brother who's struggling and, and he's having trouble. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to help him bear his burden. I'm supposed to be there for him. Sometimes that is when you and I are in a state we're not comfortable. And we need some reassurance and we need some comfort. And blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted by God. You see what God does, He's able to comfort me today when I am in my time of difficulty, my time of trouble, and then tomorrow when it is your need, then I'm already ready. Because I know what the challenges have been. They provided not only for his troubles, but they provided for him financially supporting when he's teaching. I look at these good brethren at Philippi and Paul is praising them. He is complimenting rather than criticizing them. And he points out, no church shared with me in the giving receiving, but you only. Verse 15. He said... It's you that's been there for me all the way through and during this whole period of time. But we know from 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 8, Paul says, I robbed other churches, plural, taking wages from them to minister to you, but all those funds funneled through the church there at Philippi. And Paul describes that as a situation of fellowship. Fellowship. You know, we often speak of fellowship meals. We have one today. A lot of happiness and joy when we get together. Not happy that we're losing Aaron and Lindsay and the kids, but the joy we have when we get together and we reassure one another. But there's another fellowship that's even of a greater, deeper level than the eating food together. He said, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now... They had supported Paul from the very beginning in preaching. He said to them in verse 7, he says, "Just It is right for me to think of this of you all because I have you in my heart inasmuch both in my chains and my defense and confirmation of the gospel. You are partakers with me of this grace. You see, when you and I help support someone who carries the gospel into another country, another place, Brother Kurt prayed about that tonight, when we do that, we enjoy a sweet fellowship in carrying that out. Paul knew their gift was not just a blessing to him, but as he described it, was a sweet-smelling aroma. To God, it was pleasing to, to him. And so you see the sharing of the struggles. Paul is going to finish this letter with speaking about saints in special places. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Greetings from the saints. Saints are the holy ones. These are the Christians. Here are Christians in this church sending greetings to saints in this church. 
The brethren in Rome, where Paul is in prison, are sending greetings to the church in Philippi. But there was a special greeting from those of Caesar's household. Caesar's household. Paul's in Rome. You mean that now he is able to preach the gospel to people who are in the very household of Caesar? Yes. And some of them have become Christians. That's a powerful influence there. Paul's incarceration provided an opportunity to teach people serving in the royal court. No other way to get there but going through prison. Sometimes our difficulties that we face provide opportunities for good. And to greet means to send good wishes. 3 John verse 2 Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. You send greetings to someone, what are you wanting for them? You're wanting them to succeed. You're wanting them to do well physically and most of all spiritually. What a tremendous blessing that Paul enjoyed with the Philippian church. From the very beginnings in Acts 16, we studied about that last Sunday morning, until the time that Paul gave up the ghost, these good brethren at Philippi were his fellow laborers. He appreciated them and everything they did for him. And that's why Paul could say, I've learned whatever state I am to be content. But most important was his appreciation for God and the contentment that he found in him. And you can't go without understanding verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Can you resist the discontentment of the winter? Sure you can. Because it won't be long and spring will be here and then the summer. If you can make it through a few more weeks of some cold weather, then there will be warmth. When you and I are going through difficulties in our lives and there are those trying to make us discontent, pull us into the worldly ways, you and I can say, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now we've come to the end of the lesson and this is the part where we extend the Lord's invitation. This is where we encourage you and invite you to listen to what Jesus asked you to do. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse 28. Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, Mark 16, verse 16. He who believes and is baptized. Do you believe he's the Son of God? Are you willing to come and to be baptized? I know the water in the baptistry is prepared. I know there are garments prepared. I know there's a choice on your part that you say, am I going to do this tonight? If you know what you need to do, why would you wait? And then you you understand the Lord, we as his children, those who have already become Christians, have an open door 
to go home when we've left the Lord's house. Some of us have allowed ourselves to be drawn into the world again. And just like the father of the prodigal son who was looking and saw his son coming from a great way off, here's what God does. God looks for you. He's waiting on you. And he's wanting you to come back home. We're going to sing the song, All to Jesus I Surrender. And if you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing.